welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Elon Levin, and this is the podcast for people who know how to set up a boycott against G. Gordon Godfrey's TV show sponsors, so we can bring him down, just like we brought down Bill O'Reilly, and may have considered using hashtag WeAreOutsiders as a slogan for campaign literature. That's right. We're finally talking about Young Justice Season 3, Young Justice Outsiders. This is the show that most of us ended up signing up for DC Universe, basically signed up for DC Universe because we wanted to watch this show. Uh, The first two seasons of this animated series are so beloved, and the show was canceled literally due to sexist TV executives saying that they didn't want to make a cartoon that appealed to girls. Uh, because they didn't think they could sell toys. So sexism brought this show down and fan demand brought the show back. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about it with my guests. And I have three amazing guests joining me tonight. Um, I am joined by Ahmed Ali Akbar. He is a writer and host of the show See Something, Say Something. He has worked as staff writer at BuzzFeed and has contributed pieces to Netflix, Catapult, Thrillist, Pushkin Industries, and more. He holds a master's in Islamic studies from the Harvard Divinity School. Follow him on Twitter, at RadBrownDads. And I totally found his Twitter thread about Young Justice long before I had any idea who he was. And it was definitely a big inspiration for me doing this. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about Halo. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk about character. Halo. Yeah. Speaking of talking about Halo, I'm also joined by Ben Kahn, uh, who folks has been on the show before. Ben is now an Ignatz no- Award-nominated comics writer. Their previous work includes the comic series Heavenly Blues by Scout Com- from Scout Comics, Griffin, Galaxy's Most Wanted from SBI Press. They can usually be found working away in their New York apartment and playing with a cuddly kitty. And uh, Ben has been on the show before. Uh, they were on to talk about their own comics and has also been on to talk about Doom Patrol. Yes, it is awesome to be back. Uh, love Young Justice, so it's good. So it is awesome getting to talk about it for an hour. Yay. And joining me for the first time is Ardo Omer. Ardo is a critic and freelance writer whose work can be found in the Comics Journal, Women Who Write About Comics, and more. She's the co-host of Put a Blurb on It podcast and has two short comics in the Toronto Comics Osgood as Gold anthology and the upcoming Wayward Kindred Kindred anthology. Welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Yay. So um, I don't know. I feel like this has been the superhero cartoon that I've been most addicted to from this modern a crowd of superhero TV shows. And I, I'm defining that very narrowly. Like, I don't think this is in the same category as something like Steven Universe. Um, and I was so excited to have this show back. I, I opened up my wallet, did my DC Unlimited subscription. Um, I know people have signed up for that for a number of reasons, but do folks generally feel like, yeah, this show is definitely worth subscribing to the service for? I mean, it's definitely the show that I subscribed it for. Like, I, like... Even if I wasn't enjoying Titans and Doom Patrol, this all on its own would have been worth it for me. Mm-hmm. I definitely am not paying for it myself. I am using my cousin's <laughs> password, so I don't think I'm qualified to answer that question. But it was well. It that was... is an answer to the question, actually. True, true, true. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Ahmed. Um, I don't know. Well, m- well, maybe when we talk more about the show itself, I feel like it really depends on who you are and your mood and the connections that the show may have to what's happening in real life right now. Uh, It's definitely gotten darker. Would you pay money for it? Not just for the show. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely use my subscription for other stuff, but it, this was sort of the thing that put me over. And it's interesting because I think one of the, the major, I think one of the major things that people noted about Young Justice as a cartoon from the first place, the earlier seasons, was that it was very dark. Um, especially, when I, it was coming out contemporaneously with like Marvel's Avengers cartoon, which I didn't really feel much of a calling towards and a number of other shows. And this really was the darkest of them. And I think it's also the one that's had the biggest impact. I feel like there's a whole, I, I see, I'm, I'm older than the generation of people this applies to, but there's, there's definitely a generation of people who were like tweens when the series came out for whom the older series came out and who are now grown ups and who like really grew up with the show. And it was really definitional to their relationship to the DC comics characters in general. Um, like it's what made them even really think about DC, uh, and these are their the characters that are the prominent ones from that is how they vision them. It was like their thing, and so when the season three came, I was at first I was like, wow, this is even more dark and even more adult than the last time, and then I was like, oh yeah, no, they're just playing to the existing audience they already have, who had been you know like tweens when they were watching it the first time and are now in like college basically. It is. I um, I definitely had some mixed feelings about. The increased darkness, like some of it felt good and earned and going interesting places, and some of it just felt like we look at this gore, we can just show off now. Mm -hmm. Like just look at this gore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Before it was kind of like, how are they showing this on TV? And now it was like, can they ease up a little bit? Like I don't need to see (laughs) the same character get murdered like so many times. Oh yeah, yeah. It just gets gratuitous at a certain point. So we are we are spoiler free at the moment, but we're going to dig into that later. And that is one of the biggest things I want to talk about. Um, but just wanted to give a quick wrap up for folks who are sort of undecided on it. Like, do, do you guys feel like this is really different from the earlier seasons in a way that even if you like the earlier ones, you might not like this one or? Um, I could definitely see fans of the first two seasons I think there's a lot to like, but I could definitely see for some people uh, there being a lot more negatives than there were in the first two seasons. Mm-hmm. I think it's overall a less focused season than the first two were. Yeah. Like just how different the first half and the second half were in terms of plot lines and just the characters we were focused on. It does feel like, I mean, it's been like us almost half a decade or something since the season two came out, and it does feel like it picked up like right where it left off and this is a complicated show so i find myself like going back and checking a lot of stuff but it does, in, a, in a way it feels like it's picking right up where it where it was but i i would agree um with ben that like it didn't feel as focused or wrapped up as well as like young justice season one and season two were where there was like a lot of mind-blowing plot elements that seemed really well coordinated and the progression of you know, the characters growing up and obviously the audience growing up with them felt more natural between season one and two. Um, Whereas with season three, um, Ben brought up the fact that there's like more gratuitous violence and showing off, you know, blood and, and, and that type of violence. Like there were moments where I'm like, oh, all right, that's, intense and I'm, I say that someone who's like a fan of the boys that Amazon just put out mm. so I think and th- the lack of focus on because the thing about Young Justice is there's so many DC characters you're working with 
And so season two did a better job at still maintaining focus on our core characters um, while also juggling new people. Uh, but with season three, there's so many, we still had some focus, but it was divided between three different groups, you know, the originals mm-hmm. from season one, um, and then the new people from season two, uh, but then also new people who are being introduced, um, mm-hmm. uh, in season three. And so the problem with juggling a multicast is you start to lose, you focus so much on the plot and like the weaving of story that you kind of lose the connection to characters that really guide you uh, throughout the season. And I would just say, like, if you're someone whose primary interest in the show over the years was, like, I just really want to know what's happening with, like, the personal life of the original five members of the team, like, this show is not going to make you like, you're going to be like, you might, you're going to like some things about this show, but this is, this show isn't going to answer that demand. It's not just about that. It really does a lot of work with new characters, including new ones this season. So I feel yeah, like, you're, yeah. yeah, I feel like season two, even though like certain characters were of the main, of like the original main cast were focused on more in the beginning, more in the end. I feel like it more or less equaled out in season two. Like, uh, you know, in season two, there wasn't a lot of Aqualad in the first half, but then there was a lot of really cool Aqualad storylines in the second half. And I don't feel like the balance quite worked as well, like, this season. Like, I don't feel like, like, you know, there was a couple Aqualad stuff, but, like, how Nightwing was a huge focus in the first half and then really fell off in the second half. Yes. And then not a lot of Miss Martian content overall this season. But it had a satisfying arc with her, I think, in the end. Yeah, um, like... Oh. But, but yeah, but I don't want to get spoiled, too, too spoilery. I, I guess I would also just say one other piece for people who are making a decision. Uh, you know, saying that a character is queer is never a spoiler. So I'll just let you know that if you're like, oh my god, Aqua, Aqualad is queer, if that's what you're... And, and, and does indeed kiss his boyfriend. Like, if that's what you need to make a decision about watching this, yes... Aqualad is queer and does indeed kiss his boyfriend. Um, But there's other queer stuff that's more complicated than that guy. Uh, And with that, we're going to shift into spoiler land. And I don't mean spoiler from the Teen Titans. I mean spoilers about the show. So I feel like the big... um, the big thing that I just, we really need to talk about uh, is Halo. Halo is a new character for the series. Um, Halo is a very different character in the comics. I'm really happy that they reinvented her because like, I don't, it, it, we, we needed something, we needed somebody who wasn't just another white blonde girl, uh, but it's complicated. Um, you know, Halo is a Muslim, well, that's complicated. Is oh, she, yeah, that's really wearing, complicated. Yeah, exactly. Halo is, in so many ways, the representation that almost is, but isn't quite. Yeah. In almost every way. Like, is meant to be so many things, but somehow through loopholes and weird writing isn't actually any of them. <laughs> and on top of that, there's a lot of, as, uh, as we mentioned earlier, like, just repeated violence. So, the, I... I, I Ahmed, you had a thread on Twitter that I just had like seen and was like, this is so important and had lost track of and then found through a mutual friend in the lead up to this when I was looking for the perfect guest. Do do you want to dive into sort of the case that you made through that? Sure. Halo? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just visually establishing Halo, she, um, even if you didn't know anything about the character, 
um, you would see that like she is appears to be Muslim, meaning that she wears um, a relatively mainstream like hijab or, or headscarf. Um, mm-hmm. And in the context of the show, you know, she like wakes up. She's like a you know a refugee, Karaki refugee, who like wakes up after being buried and like discovers all these powers. And as you're going through, like when I was first watching, they hadn't revealed her backstory yet. So she was like, I was just taking at face value. This is like a Muslim girl who got resurrected and like has these powers and she's dealing with them. Um, and what's strange about it is, uh, first of all, like any most of the places in, in Young Justice, Karak is like made up. Um, yeah, uh, it's like a made-up place that's kind of a stand-in per- potentially for you know like war in the Middle East. Um, but what's strange about it is she doesn't remember her past life, and she doesn't remember, I would say, even argue her past culture. And they ask her if she wants to take off her hijab, and she says, "It just feels right," which is a pretty like mediocre excuse for somebody to like express a religious symbol. Like if they were wearing like any other religious symbol. I think everyone would roll their eyes if, like, mm-hmm. you know, literally, literally any other symbol of, of any religion, I think it, it would seem a little strange. It essentializes sort of her, her the hijab as, like, a, a, a Muslim woman thing and mm-hmm. also, like, makes the violence against her quite, quite um, noticeable. She's murdered several times, like, really violently uh, and, and were made to, like, linger on her wounds um yeah. so it's just like a disturbing you know usage of uh like the muslim woman icon without delving into what would really make her feel like the hijab is the right thing for her she doesn't ever it doesn't ever affect her character there's only one moment i can think of where like it really kind of affects her character which is like she doesn't want to take um her hijab off in front of cyborg um and that happens like way later it's like 17 episodes in but like they don't ever discuss like how what makes her muslim um and in the end she starts says she isn't muslim so like it like, why did she say it felt right mm-hmm. to wear the hijab in the first place if, you know, she um, didn't um, identify as Muslim? So it just feels like it's a common trope. Like, uh, the per- other character I think of that's like this is Saeed Jara in um, Lost, who is played by an Indian guy, um, but he's Iraqi. And, you know, for the first, like, five seasons, his relationship to his religion is, like, base- barely commented on. And then he's, like, sort of, like, randomly praying on a boat and not do, not doing his prayer very well either like his prayer is completely Ooh. incorrect so it's like clear that the writers wanted to wanted the points to like include a muslim in there thinking like muslim is sort of like a race or something as opposed to a religion that comes with practices and comes with like community and you can't just like pra- you, you i mean you can practice it on, on your own but like it has to be contextualized within culture, you know? It's like something more complicated than that. And it doesn't seem like the writers really thought about how complicated it is to have this character be Muslim. And then they turned out to be yeah. an alien robot possessed, yeah. like corpse reanimated reana- re- re- yeah. by a mother box. It's just really, really strange overall. I'm so glad that you said this. <laughs> so I binge, um, so truly I just got, I binged the season in like the last few days because uh, I've been meaning to watch it, but just haven't had the chance to. Um, and so one of the things that really stood out to me was uh, Halo um, being depicted as a Muslim girl. At first, I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, she's a hijabi. I'm not personally a hijabi, but uh, I'm like, all right, that's cool. It's really great. It's always nice to have that visual cue. Um, but And then she said the feels right thing, and I'm like, oh, okay. I was personally optimistic at that point because I'm like, 
you know, why bother having a hijabi Muslim woman if you're not going to make her Muslim? Uh, but then her powers involve healing and, and not actually being able to die. And the fact that within, like, what, the first 10 episodes, she dies horrifically. There's a moment, I think, in episode two where she she's literally, like, her her face is burnt to the yeah. to a crisp to the point where she's like a skeletal being um or when she has her neck twisted by the by, lobo fight it was like this weird south park oh my god they killed kenny moment yeah or when she was with like the league of shadows like it was so intense especially because of the nature of the show now the show because so season two came out what in 2012 right this is pre-trump and mm-hmm. season three um is really playing into post-2016 um, feelings, right? Uh, po- like yeah. a, a Trump world, uh, which we can get into. The, Luth- as- the Luther-Trump parallels oh, are not gosh, settled this season. It's not at all. But <laughs> the the fact that you have this character who is obviously from um, a group of people who are fleeing from their home, who are refugees. Uh, she's also Muslim, which is um, not a great thing to be right now in the world. Uh according to folks like Trump. Uh, But then you also have this person who is constantly being murdered. So there's like this added violence to her body uh, constantly to the point where I kept flinching and it became quite, like it was too much. And then the fact that she's like, I'm not Muslim, I think really, like really hit the nail on the head because up until that point, or even like throughout the entire season, it felt like the hijab was exactly what they decided to do with the character when they decided. They essentially just took a hijab and put it on a character and made her brown. Mm-hmm. That's like they took the original character and then they said, we're going to make her brown, we're going to make her Muslim because that's the marginalized character right now in the world. And then did nothing beyond that. Um, and it's not the it's not the fact that you know, I, I'm pro, you know, having like a wide range of Muslims, you know, Muslims who may not do all the things we expect Muslims to do. Right. Um, but the fact that if you are an alien who takes over this body, why is it that you hold on to this hijab, but you don't hold on to any other aspect of this character who passed away? Like mm-hmm. she, the like Halo is actively resistant um, to her host's, like, experiences, uh, with except to the point where actually, you know, Ben might want to talk more about this, but, like, it plays into the non-binary aspect, because the non-binary aspect makes a lot of sense, given the situation, whether or not that's successful is another story, but it doesn't make sense to, you know, disregard every other aspect of, you know, her past host's, Gabrielle's life, except for the hijab. It feels like to me so much of the stuff is just needed more time in the oven. Like there was some good stuff set up in the beginning about like Karaki, anti-Karaki refugee bias. Like it would have been very easy for her to like go out in the world and be hated for the way she looked, even if she wasn't wearing a hijab. Like she was just like a brown woman and people mm-hmm. recognize her as Karaki. She could face bigotry and violence and think about like, what does it mean that like, Uh, people see me as different and hate me because of the way I look, even though I look human and I don't feel human. Like, there's all this interesting stuff they could have done, and they didn't really spend that much time thinking about it in, like, a more complicated way. Well, then, okay, well, you know, we need a a Muslim character. You know, this is our Muslim character. And I'll also say that she looks 
amazing. I don't want to yeah. say like like her design is actually really nice, including it's a her great superhero character outfit. design. Oh, yeah, I love yeah. the changing colors, like the light, the changing color lights incorporate into her design. It's a fantastic superhero costume. Even the subtle hijab in her outfit, like if you looked at her without, you know, no, like seeing her out of her out out of her, you know, um, sort of. Um, you know, civilian garb. Um, it could pass either way. You know, like it could either be like like somebody wearing hijab or somebody who just like you know wants their hair covered when they're out of the battlefield. So yeah. it was like it was like a really smart design. So it's a bummer that like she's really likable too, and like that's part of it also. Super right? likable. I mean, just this fun, sweet, like energetic character that's kind of impossible not to root for, but. Not but yeah, the best I think, representation. Like, I, I, I wanted to look at like the, I forgot to check out this, I'm digging in now. Like, you know, it just thinks that this very good chance that there weren't any actual Muslim people working on the show in a writing capacity. And uh, that's one of the reasons you get what you got. Can I, can I probably, step in here? Yes. So the, 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 I did some digging after tweeting that thing. And the actor who, actress who um, yes. does the voice, I'm sorry, I don't recall her name currently, but... Um, has done a lot of like one woman shows about like growing up in a Muslim family. I don't know if she identifies as such, but clearly like she like has engaged with it, um, which is um, interesting. And it also like I often say, you know, on my show we talk a lot about like Muslim representation, and we often say, as like Ardo Push uh, pointed out, like it's okay to have like multiple interpretations of Muslim identity and like, you know, she could like, it's totally cool for, with me that like, you know, Halo wears hijab and like kiss as a boyfriend, like some people would say that's incompatible, but that's totally like realistic. But on the other hand, you have the other yeah. problem where you sometimes might only have one Muslim in your room and they become the um, sort of like only cultural informant. That's also not enough. You know, like mm -hmm. they need to do like a lot, like, the smell test has to pass more than just one person. So there's at least one Muslim person in there. I mean, maybe they had no, you know, um, say, or Muslim background person, let's say. Um, maybe they had no say in how the character was written. Um, but, like, I think it's very, com it's like very common for Muslim characters to be written the way Halo is, where uh, yeah. Islam is just a symbol to, like, make the show look more diverse rather than, like, something that actually influences the character's decisions. Like, Kamala like, Khan I is think, a character that's yeah. fantastic at doing that, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I think one of the things that's going on here is you have some, like, white people who identify as progressive who wanted Halo to say that sh she's wearing... That, that Halo's wearing the hijab be, by their own choice rather than because some man told her to, which is sort of like combating that myth that like, oh, these poor women, but then didn't go to the next step of actually interrogating what any of it meant, you know? And like, I, and like looking at um, the creative, you know, the creative team with the way things work for the animation, like it's quite probable that most of these particular points of dialogue didn't, like the actress didn't know what was going to happen until she was really getting in the room. They ever animated long before the audio gets recorded. So she would certainly have known the character design and stuff like that in advance. But there is a very good chance that the whole, like, I'm not actually a Muslim thing, like I, that she might not have even known that that was even coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and because it's like animated shows are weird like that. And it's hard to know how it'll hit when you're just doing like dialogue. I mean, there was, I mm. think, I was, I'm totally open to the character, even as an alien, 
think she can be an alien, <laughs> like alien robot who decides to be Muslim, but you have to actually think about what that means, I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. What does it mean yeah, to be exactly. a non-binary yeah. alien robot who, well, is, who identifies as Muslim? Like, I mean, it sounds amazing. Yeah. The non-binary... <laughs> I mean, the alien ghost box thing, that's kind of to go into kind of into the non-binary part yes, of uh, Halo's identity. And first, I kind of... I was definitely excited when... Uh, she said that like she doesn't identify uh, as man or woman. I was able to see if that would be explored more. Um, it wasn't really this season, but as we saw with kind of Aqualad between two and three, uh, that exploration could definitely continue. Or we could, after the time skip, uh, certainly wouldn't be surprised if you know by season four, uh, Halo is using they them pronouns. So just because it wasn't explored this season doesn't mean it won't get more attention or exploration next season. Uh, mm -hmm. But in general, it kind of fell into a bit of a trope I've noticed of when we do get there's a, of when we do get non-binary representation, especially in fantasy or sci-fi, where the fantasy or sci-fi origin becomes the reason why they're non-binary. Yes, and it becomes yes. less of a, and it becomes a little less of a real identity and more of a sci-fi a way to make them seem even more strange like sci-fi and other worldly yeah. um and the character i kind of keep it within dc the character i really want to compare halo to is danny the street especially because danny the street is such a crazy over like out of this world trippy sci-fi concept like they're a sentient street but dan but like but danny the street isn't ge they're not genderqueer because they're a street that and street and sentient geographies don't understand gender they're a sentient street who is genderqueer versus halo who is genderqueer because she is the ghost of a mother box and a human yeah like so much of this could have been like Halo's origin absolutely explains why somebody could be genderqueer, but you can't have that being the only genderqueer person. Like you need to just have like a human who's genderqueer because they are, not because they're part of a mother box and reborn body combined. Yeah, like, it yeah. it becomes a little I, less of I'm figuring out my personal gender identity and more of a how does this thing you call humanity work? Which is interesting. One of the moments that I liked was with Bug. Um, somebody oh, like I, correct, I think it was like Brion corrects bug for like not using pronouns and bug is like we don't have pronouns in our language and like and like then bug goes and has like you know like and everybody's just sort of like oh interesting okay like and that's sort of like i don't know i, I, I liked that moment i loved forager so much Sorry, this forager, season yes. oh yes. fred bug forager fred bug, yeah forager they uh, fred bug was just non-stop delightful and I, I, you know, I'm like a hardcore Jack Kirby fan, and I thought that the way that this show used some of the most, like, Kirby of all characters and made them work in the visual style of the show was really quite successful. Um, like, I like, you know, the bugs don't look exactly like they do in the comics, but it totally works. It's a very strong tribute to it. The Forever People, I like the update they've done on the Forever People. Like, don't call Beautiful Dreamer Beautiful Dreamer. Beautiful Dreamer is just Dreamer. Because it's not 1972, we can just call her Dreamer. We don't have to call her Beautiful Dreamer, you know. Um, I thought that some of those super like fourth world related updates were, were quite successful in, in in the aesthetic designs and stuff like that. But um, but it was but it was impressive to me at least to have like, you know, acknowledge like 
that you know that if somebody says that like oh we don't really do gender binary like we like you do like it is still sort of making it alien but the fact that all the characters are like oh we understand you okay is like it's like nice to have that in a kids show <laughs> except it's sure. not really a kids show i guess and again, i mean i guess that's 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 part of the question right it's still so. a superhero cartoon that explicitly has a character that doesn't identify on the gender binary and that's still yeah. really cool and huge um it's just again. I would like. I hope it's explored more. And if it is, the it's the if it becomes part of like their core identity. Like again, if we get to season four and Halo is switched from using she, her to they, them pronouns, that would go a long way. I just want to see it become a part of an identity and not an after effect of their crazy sci-fi origin. Well, one of one of the things that I th- I thought like when they have the whole thing where Halo kisses. Um, uh oh my gosh what's her name from the comics harper Rowe. thank you i fully expected to be in a full-on like bisexual rage of like why are you having your only like bisexual character like cheating on somebody this is such a terrible trope but like the show resolved it so compassionately that i'm like not even mad I'm like, not even mad. I don't know. But they need to have more bi characters, without a doubt. And I also felt like um, Aqualad wasn't on screen enough with his boyfriend. Like, they kissed, but there just wasn't that much of it there. I mean, that's... But, like, yeah. So this show, I think, overall does romance well. Like, there's been a lot of, like... I I think, like, I still love uh, Wally and Artemis. Overall, I think Brion and Halo had a lot of great moments, and I thought was real sad at the end. But it... This show is not afraid to really develop romances, so it is disappointing that we don't get to see any of that development between Calder and his partner. We just skip right to after the end, and that yeah. and that develop and like again that they've done such a good job of establishing romantic development as part of that whole teenage growing up uh, of the Young Justice characters. And it'd be really nice to actually see like the coming out process and a queer romance given that mm-hmm. same kind of attention that Halo and Brion were given. Well, one of the things that I stick with is at the very end of the series, like Brion asks Halo to be his queen. And I'm like, you see, she's like, Halo's going to say no to you on so many levels. She's going to say no on the, you've become a dictator level. She's going to say no on like, I'm not old enough to marry you, what the fuck? And she's going to say no on the, like, queen? That's, like, a super gendered concept. I mean, it could also be, like, really gendered in a very specifically queer way, but that wasn't the way Brion meant it. Um, there were... That was one thing, like, I was curious to give you a follow-up of, is, is that uh, I did notice that they kept using completely feminine gendered terms for Halo the rest of the season, uh, to which she had no protest or mm-hmm. reaction to. So that was something I was kind of on the lookout for. It was kind of like, oh... Okay, we're not having you know that oh, yeah. great one day at a time and befriend like conversation. <laughs> well, significant kinda, other. It is kind of weak to like have your most like naive character dealing with the most complex stuff so that you can just avoid it. Like, like she does. They don't or they never clarified their pronouns. No, presumably because that's like not something I think that they did have her use she her and you know yeah. what that is that right there is something completely valid. Not every non-binary person needs to use. Uh, they, them, or other pronouns. Sure. Plenty of non-binary people use she, her, and he, him, and that that at least is completely and totally valid. Right, but my point is, like, the character is not expressing themselves in a 
in, like yeah. they, they kind of expect express their identity in one-liners and it might be like kind of useful to to have a character who can actually like you know get deeper into the stuff um it, and it's it surprising how much time she spends on screen and you know still there's so much about their identity that i don't fully understand it um, definitely doesn't help that her number one source of support in figuring this out turns out to be a psychotic, like, abusive gaslighter. Also, yeah, I don't find that romance to be, like, particularly compelling. He's kind of terrible throughout the whole season. So that was kind of hard for me to watch. He's also... I meant meant Jace to Dr. Jace. Oh, Jace, right. I was talking about Geoforce. Sorry, Ardo, go ahead. Oh, but, like, yeah, Geoforce, I didn't believe that romance because I feel like he is visually depicted as someone who's much older than she is. Mm -hmm. Like, she's a clear teen. Um, and a lot of the teen and the show is pretty good about differentiating between the teens and adults and, and how they're animated and how they act and all that. For whatever reason, Brion feels like someone where I'm like, I don't know, should you be dating Halo? <laughs> he feels very, he feels much older than she, she yeah. does. He fits more in with the, the Nightwing and the Superboy boy crowd as opposed to the Forager and Halo crowd. And if you add the added layer of her, you know, the fact that Halo is, you know, a you know sentient mother box who is, in a w- her own way, going through a puberty of being a human being. There is a naivete there, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know. So I don't know. Maybe it was for the best that uh, Brion goes psycho. Yeah, I sort of felt like she was the oldest. Yeah, she basically is a child. She's basically yeah. a year, like a year old. <laughs> She was just reborn. And it's the sort of thing where, like, of course she's going to still want him because he's hot, but he should be smart enough to know that actually she's not old enough for him. Do you know what I mean? I do appreciate that when she's like, hey, I I kissed a girl, and he's like, well, did it mean anything? And she's like, no. He's like, okay, well, then just, you know, don't do that again. I was like, look at these people having a mature conversation, treating it like a real thing. Good on you. But but that, to me, was sort of the highlight of the relationship, was him, like, not freaking out about that. I did really like the communication being cool with that. But even then, it was, even then, it was, it was, it felt like that scene felt like another example of Halo almost being representation of something, but not quite. Where she was very, I mean, no, like, Harper kissed me, I wasn't doing anything. It's like, oh, are you, I thought that was real bi representation, but I guess you're not, but maybe you are. Oh, I think it says that she's bi, but that it was not something where she's like, oh, I'm secretly in love with her. Like, it was just, like, a thing that happened. I don't know. But one thing that I really hit me near the end of the season that I think actually is really interesting is when you have Dr. Jace, you know, decide that she's going to sell out Violet in order to what she believes to be protecting Brion and Tara. Like, the fact that, like, Halo is just completely disposable to Dr. Jace. You know, she cares about the white kids who are from the country that she that she that she's from. And she literally sells out, like, a brown refugee girl to Ultra Humanite, who was a literal Nazi in the comics. Um, and it just sort of was this, like, I think sort of this, like, really clear moment of disposability that... I, I sort of read through as being very political, at least. It's definitely political because I think what's interesting about the season is it is this conversation about power uh, that's been happening all season long. Um, in the case of like Halo, like you know, Doctor Jace this whole time has said, like she actually says it herself. The reason why Halo was disposable for her was because Halo wasn't a result of her quote unquote creation. Right? She activated mm-hmm. the the meta gene in. Uh, Geoforce and um, Terra, but realized that, um, you know, the soul of a mother box is what actually 
gave um, Halo her, her powers. And so for her, it's the idea of, well, you know, you're, you're going from human to metahuman, so you're, you, you're now become a new person, therefore my kid. And in the case of Halo, you're not my kid. And I think obviously um, being, you know, a Karaki refugee, physically speaking, and also the added layer of being an alien, because there is this, you know, ongoing conversation within the show that you have these idea of these ideas of like aliens as like human beings who are being uh, who are entering nations for whatever reason, um, being seen as alien to that place. But then you also have literal aliens like Forager, right, who are um, occupying Earth and like occupying space on Earth. So for her, it's like the, she has like those, you know, double, triple identities of being a brown Muslim alien, uh, non-binary uh, person. Um, but yeah, power is like throughout this entire series like you have the idea of like political power with like the justice league and everyone else um even within the heroes themselves a lot of their conflict is like due to this idea of power who has it who's given choice or control and even like that big bad weapon at the very end is the idea of quite literally stripping people of control so it's and it makes sense it's it i will say watching this season i binge like it was essentially it felt like the equivalent of spending 13 hours on twitter <laughs> and no. it was so agonizing especially if you think of if if you're someone who's not just a fan of young justice but just a fan of dc's animated series um and their heroes um dc heroes are they occupy a space that's a, a tad different from marvel uh in, in terms of you know marvel they emphasize on their heroes being just like everyday people uh, whereas DC, there's an element of like you, like heroes are you know are are these fantastic beings, and they represent these very big ideas. And so there's an element of escapism here. But the added darkness of the series um, and talking about these very real issues, it was very hard to escape into your characters like Superman and Batman, um, or even you know Nightwing or whoever, where they're engaging with very real world topics, but they're also losing that sheen of heroics at the same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it really made, uh, first of all, don't binge the show. Uh, (laughs) It's not good for your health. Uh, But otherwise, yeah, no, it was, it was very interesting how they occupied and, and, and navigated that space with regards to power. Well, Luther is the head of the, Luther in this is the secretary general of the UN. And, you know, DC Comics is interesting. DC Comics has always had fake countries, fake cities. Like, that's just a consistent way that they've done things. Um, but the United Nations has always been extremely powerful in the DC Comics because they've always had this whole thing where the, where the Justice League has an on and off relationship with the UN. Like, the UN actually has teeth in the, in the DCU. So having Luther be the head of the, just, of the UN is like a big deal. And Luther is an obvious stand-in for Trump in the show. They have him repeating things like sad, sad, or fake news, fake news. And it's interesting, like, having those sort of Trumpian catchphrases being repeated by a person who doesn't come off like a buffoon. I think in some ways it, like, sort of shows you, like, no, these exact inclinations and ways of manipulating the public are not just a thing that this dumb guy does. These are, like, actual manipulation techniques. Um... And I kind of, I, so I thought it was kind of interesting and, and refreshing to have the Trump character be done that in that particular kind of way. I do like how, and I really like how kind of, if they took one thing from this kind of trailer was 
kind of was uh, the way kind of power and social media and public uh, and how public opinion mm-hmm. is divided and manipulated and controlled. Um, I really like that end to me. It felt like a really good kind of continuation of if this show over the course of like three seasons has had kind of uh, one like kind of real like kind of overarching theme. It's kind of what the heroes have to give up to keep beating the villains at their own game. And what you said about kind of these mythical beings kind of losing their sheen. I, I actually liked how that kind of actually became a whole theme of this season with uh, kind of, you know, Batman's little mini council <laughs> uh, doing what they do and keeping it to it explicitly to try to give everyone else to retain that mythical sheen that they're kind of knowingly giving up. And it was kind of, and it was really interesting having, uh, I thought it was a good use of Black Lightning yes. being as like a bit of kind of POV and like moral, like voice of morality for the season. Well, yeah. Like I love that the season ends with like a black superhero explaining to all the white people why they made really dumb decisions and the white people being like, you were right. We should do what you say. I do like how Miss like, Martian switches to white once she starts making really bad decisions to control everything. <laughs> But oh, wow. so, so I'm Canadian. Although I, I, I can't escape the situation happening in the U.S. And we also have our own issues here, for sure. Yes, you but, do. <laughs> yeah, the timing mm. of this is interesting. But um, I wondered if you guys, like living in America, um, like got this sense of what the Justice League or what you know Batman's crew as well as the, you know, Miss Martian's uh, group and what they were doing behind the scenes in that seven. Um, and their, you know, reasoning of we need to do this because the other side is doing this. Does it feel like it's some, it, it's like parallels to the conversations with like the Democrats and the Republicans right now in the sense that, oh, wow. you know, criticisms of, you know, the Democrats not doing enough um, and not, you know, playing not they're not they're not playing on the same playing field because of the str- strategies that the Republican Party is able to do and and execute, and people being upset with the Democrats. And I wondered from like you know you guys are you guys more aware of this. I just know Twitter sound bites for the most part, but I got that sense because even with the idea with Lex Luthor, the frustration I felt um, and like just the general exhaustion of watching the show is the same feeling I get from watching my Twitter timeline. Um, in, in the sense of you see these, you're watching um, someone who clearly shouldn't be in power continue to be in power, and and the fact that these so-called you know these these good guys are constantly being thwarted because there's always that one thing that the other side has thought of and and all of that and and like kind of like that hope hopelessness of like you're like no but you are clearly doing wrongdoing I don't understand. Mm-hmm how you're still in this position of power. And yeah, I just wondered what you guys but, thought of well, that. In the end of the day, what, get, what Luther gets in trouble for is that he's running LexCorp while also running the UN. So he gets in trouble for conflict of interest law, which Trump has not gotten in trouble for, even though that's literally all he's been doing. So I actually had a bit of an emotional, like, yeah, you take him down with the conflict of interest law thing, which is not happening in America. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a great description, though, of like how it felt for you. I mean, does somebody want to take that question? I mean, I can say that Calder being constantly just tired all season was very <laughs> relatable. As he had to deal with, like, kind of the most above, like... And I... Because it was... Because I do think that frustration... And I have to, like... 
again, almost you want to see just regular, above-board, good, like, morally good superheroics be enough. And I think what this show's kind of always been focused, like, in its own way, um, kind of talk about, like, you know, with its inherent black ops and then spy games and now kind of, infer- like, really kind of social manipulation, information warfare has always been that, like, if there was to ever be this, like, kind of war between, like, organized heroes and villains, they would be, it would exist on so many more fronts than just, you know, people punching other people. I've always found the show, like, a little bit confusing on its, like, moral compass, because the basic idea that, like, the, super, the young superheroes are more safe being in a covert ops team, like, breaking <laughs> international sovereignty all the time makes no sense, so I... I, I I feel like Ardo is, yeah, it's totally like being on Twitter. It drops an idea and it just moves on. It doesn't, like, spend a lot of time thinking about it. So I did feel like they were laying it on kind of thick with the Black Lightning monologue at the end, and it wasn't totally earned. There Um, were a lot of monologues this season that were laid on so thick. But in terms of, like, the Democrat parallel, I didn't see it until that moment. That was, like, the moment where I was like, "Were were they trying to do that this whole time, or is it just, like, something that I was not paying attention to? I feel like it's just, like... You know, they they definitely drop a lot of real-world references to make you, like, um, pick up some potential overlaps. But I don't know I'm sh- if I'm quite sure that it has a clear, um, like, st- like, stance on it when it's clear that the heroes have been doing really messed up stuff since the very beginning. I feel like with yeah, 2 and 3 have. now, it almost becomes like It's Always Sunny, where it always ends with them being like, we're not going to do any more long-ranging conspiracies and keep lies from superheroes. <laughs> do it again. Smash cut to, the gang tells a bunch of lies to the other superheroes. <laughs> I mean, true. and that's the, I think that's the consistent thing about Young Justice, right, as a series. Like, season one, you've had secrets that uh, threaten uh, the core group. Um, you had the, the fake death of Artemis. Um, in season two, and, and the involvement of Aqua, Aqua, Aqua Lad, who then becomes Aquaman, um, that also you know muddles the waters there. And I think I wonder if Jefferson, aka Black Lightning's um, monologue, is not just something as a result of everything that happened in season three, but really about everything that's happened in the series, um, just because of the consistency of these lies. And Young Justice started out as these very public heroes going covert, right? Um, Because there were sidekicks, and then they transitioned to being covert. And it's really interesting because there were so many callbacks this season um, to how things were in season one. And I guess, like, the the shifting of the series towards arcing back towards how things started out in season one. Um, Like, you had in, like, episode 16 slash 17, there was, like, a full circle moment where Garth Beast Boy just literally quotes uh, Superboy right back at him. Like, his first line uh, to the Justice League at the end of the whole Cadmus breakout was, get on board or get out of the way. Those Um, hashtag we are outsiders. (laughs) Yes, that could be a little rough to get through. That was wild. Yeah, I want to talk about Garth just a little bit. The voice actor on Garth is sounds exactly like how that character would sound and the voice drives me batty because it's so obnoxious it's like this boy band boy voice but it's perfect for the character do you I, know what i mean i do think it's kind of cool that the teen titans voice actor which was like a very it was as somebody who grew up on teen titans it was hard to like take him seriously because that character in teen titans you no know, there are some obviously some like serious 
moments in the Teen Titans TV show, but it was a lot more comical, and I don't know if his mm-hmm. voice fit the tone of this show as well. It's actually but funny, because like... there was a callback to Teen Titans Go, when he had that mm-hmm. very trippy moment. Doom Patrol Go. Might be yeah, my favorite so part of this. Well, Might be my favorite part of the whole season. And all the Booyah references. There's like all these, and the, the guy who plays Cyborg, I think his name is Carrie... Terry Payton, yeah. yeah, he's like a lot of voice actors. So like, there's like they're they're definitely playing a lot of homage to Teen Titans, and I, mean, I don't know if it really works to be honest. I mean, yeah, like they could have. I had... just really feel like a character that's a Hollywood actor who's like has his little boy band haircut. Like, I feel like Gar would have that kind of like terrible boy band boy voice, and the way he does his like his PSAs, like if you say if you see something scream something i'm like oh my god i want to fucking smack you but that is so accurate that is exactly how you'd be and you would be driving me freaking crazy about it also kind of be like well at least you're sort of socially engaged i guess like the particular earnestness of like the we are all outsiders thing was an interesting take on the whole like mutant metaphor basically because basically metas they've now decided dc has metas and not mutants and it's basically the whole like really problematic mutant metaphor being recycled over at dc um garth is really the lens through which we encounter all of those sorts of questions around like mutant mutant whatever meta like registration and like being inherently dangerous or not um and I just thought, like... It's just funny because they I, set up I, the Karaki refugees for the same thing and then they never did anything with it and they swapped the metaphor to the metas. <laughs> the, I mean, it's like, are, it's just... That's yeah. why I'm saying, like, it drops ideas and then moves the on. The We Are Outsider speech, it's such tonal whiplash because it's... You don't have, like, Gar's, like, super sincere speeches contrasted, like, right away with, like, you know, Nightwing and Miss Martian's, like, manipulations and their control over it. You just have, like, whole episodes of really, really sincere, optimistic, like, heroes doing hero stuff for goodness. And then it's just, like, whole episodes of we're lying to everybody and manipulating the entire system. And it's just back and forth really hard, like, a lot of whiplash. Truly, this is Twitter, because... I'll go from, you know, Trump's done something psycho and then there's a puppy on my screen. So truly, I hmm. feel like it's 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 very consistent with this Twitter They, they did. They really did capture that metaphor. feeling. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I think well, that I wanted to say earlier was that, like, this show kind of pioneered. I mean, maybe pioneer is not the right word, but like. Um, at the level in which it balanced a huge cast and still managed to make character arcs work over a season, like I think season one and season two were like pioneering. They like preceded a lot of the Marvel ensemble movies that are so popular now, and so like kind of also mastered that formula. So like the way in which it was sort of bungled here was uh, kind of disappointing, and one of the reasons why I can recommend it because I like Young Justice, but like if I were watching it all the way through, I think I would have felt like there was a drop-off in quality, perhaps, um, in season three. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. I'm glad, though, like, with the difference, like, I don't feel like, at least in terms of the main characters, I don't feel like any of them kind of went off script or, like, did, went in, like, right. directions I wouldn't have expected for those sure. characters. Like, it right. still feels like kind of a nice next step of where they've gone in their lives. Yeah, you're totally right. It's just, like, the question of these new characters and how well their stories tie into the other characters like i could not keep track of the differences between the teams i'm not gonna lie like yeah i started to lose i started to lose the thread i was like who's on what team and why are they hiding it's just it's like a you i can just imagine their whiteboard like 
picking, yeah. picking up all the different relationships. Like, it's cool that the, it's at that level of ambition, but I really hope in season four, which I, I hear that they're doing, they'll pull it yes, back it a little coming. bit. Um, well, yeah, that's when we'll figure out that, like, Jade is hiding out with, with Jason Todd and what have you, and what's up with the Lobo baby <laughs> oh, no. squashed. Oh, yeah. No, oh, my God. What no I realized Slobo is that... For you. No Slobo for us. Well, like, Lobo... Well, the reason there was a Lobo baby is that apparently it regenerated from this finger that got caught off in that fight scene. And the whole thing with Lobo is he's the last Zarnian, so he's just going to kill all the other Zarnians. Um, but that, as, like, the final post credit sequence blew my fucking mind. Well, I took it as a reference to kind of a tease slash, like, reference to uh, Slowbo from the original Young Justice comics. Like, that character. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, like, that was a character, like, one of, you know, um, like, a Lobo kind of, you know, healed from part of him who didn't quite have his super strength, but was, like, part of the original Young Justice run. So I oh, always wow. took that, like, that kind of, like, when they were teasing, I'm like, oh, they're teasing Slowbo, like, they're bringing that character in from the comics. So then I took the squishing as that almost like, ha, you thought that's what we were doing, extra punchline, no, we're not. Wow. Um, but yeah, I feel like the teams were really hard to track. I think we could have used with maybe one episode that was focused on what the Batman Incorporated people were doing. I, I did appreciate that at the end, it really looks like Batman had like actually grown and learned a thing, at least for the short term, maybe. He's like, oh, that was a wrong choice, and I will look to you for leadership. I was like, Batman learning a thing? My God. He actually had um, a really great conversation with Barbara about, again, power, because she did bring up that his little Batman Incorporated were people who were formerly protégés of his, right? Like, in terms yes. of the people who are... Because he's like, well, I'm not making... I'm not uni unilaterally making de these decisions. I have these six other people who are with me. But they're all people he's trained before, and she actually had to explain to him, like, you do know that you have a sway over them. There are people who know who are used to taking your lead, and the one person who isn't doing that, someone that is seen more of an equal to you, Wonder Woman, is off-world. And she'll hear about these things after they're, they're already completed. So I think he definitely, I think that really helped um, clarify things a bit for him, especially mm. with how things, you know, have turned out so far with their approach. Um, but that was a very, I really like that moment. I like the fact... I don't think Batman's necessarily... I think the best written Batman is a Batman who learns from his mistakes because yeah. he's, uh, he's, he's a smart guy. Um, and I think um, give him some time and he'll, you know, for the most part, make reasonable decisions. The mission. What did folks think about the all-Roy Harper <laughs> episode with all the various Roys? That was fun. That, that was, was just a fun like, break. Yeah. That yeah was I love like that episode, fun and goofy. Honestly. Yeah, that would. That episode just makes me smile. I appreciated Roy calling Dick out, basically being like, you basically are asking me to play Wally for you. Like, you're asking me to take the role of your dead friend um, to do this to keep you in check. Yeah, those are some of the strongest moments, I feel like, when they dealt with grief. It's what I love. Yes, that and is very like, true. A super fun, lighthearted adventure that still managed to work and a lot of, like, really legitimate and, like, deep character development. But yeah, I think you're right, Akbed. Like, the... The um, the grief, like the the whole thing with Zaytana and her dad, continues to be tragic all the way through season three. You know, like they were still able to really sell that. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, or I mean, even... I think this. The sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, seriously, go ahead. 
Um, I was going to say also the Artemis closure as well with with Wally, yes. which was really strong. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I I love the scene, but it's another thing of like, oh boy, Miss Martian just learned not to lie to her friends. Here she goes lying to her friends again. Yeah, but I do think like what what ultimately like the the world of the show is like one in which people make a lot of mistakes, but the way in which it's like models nice like emotional intelligence and compassion and learning from your mistakes is what like keeps bringing me back and also like how um, mistakes can't be oftentimes there's many mistakes and many losses that like can't be just you know brought back like you can't just be you can't always just be forgiven you can't always you know people who die don't always come back like I feel like that's like what where it's at its strongest and that's why I think Mm -hmm. I struggled with this new cast so much because I didn't always feel like I related to their struggle as much, and it felt like kind of invented occasionally. Um, mm. And I, I, I hope that, like, when I come back to them next season, I'm going to be like, I can't wait to see, like, how, you know, Halo deals with her past lives more, maybe more directly, as opposed to, like, mm. this avoidance that she's done this whole season. Like, I was hoping she would move past avoidance this season. She did go to talk to her family, right? Like, that was actually kind yeah. of interesting. But um, she's still, in a way, avoiding it. So, like, maybe there'll be something in the next season. Like, they're setting, they're still setting characters up. Which yeah. is interesting in a season three. With well, I mean, I guess I have a question for you guys with respect to the, the Halo visiting her, the people who gave birth to her's household situation, basically. It was just like, I mean, how do you feel like the show handled the people who are not native English speakers? Um, you know, which is Brian Markov, Tara Markov, you know, yeah. and Halo and everyone else like that. Son of a goat. I can't believe that how many times that came up with the Markovs. Yeah. <laughs> um. It's kind of hard not to love a super goofy, over-the-top, like, faux Russian accent in a superhero show. So so the weird thing is that um, Halo has this sort of invented accent, but they speak Arabic. They were speaking straight-up <laughs> Arabic. Like, they were just speaking Arabic. I was like, I mean, fine, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Give it a dialect, at least. Like, it was not a dialectical Arabic. It was just straightforward, like, Arabic. As far as I know, I'm not, like, an expert on that. I'm not a Ar- native Arabic mm-hmm. speaker. I've always studied it. I'm, um, but, like, I was definitely not expecting the Karakis to just be, just be like, Arabic speakers at all. Um, but I, mean, was- I feel like Troy Baker had to have a lot of fun with Chio Force's accent. Oh, that was Troy Baker? That's really funny. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could have actually, like, used some more particular reference points from that. I mean, they had people speaking in Markovian. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, God, I need to try to find some of these root words. I know so many people who speak Eastern European languages, and I just didn't get my act together. So but, uh, um, one thing about the, the I wanted to point out is, so the actress, I, you know, who played Halo, her name is Zara Fazel, and she is not an Arabic speaker. She's, a, she's like myself, uh, uh, South Asian, and she speaks Urdu. So it was kind of interesting hearing her Arabic, which was um, not very good compared to the, her parents. Um, like, her parents had to, like, were clearly yeah. more native speakers, or at least, like, practice speakers than than she was um so that was like you know a really small detail and not like something that i'm upset about by any means i did think it was interesting how the like the the angry muslim father who doesn't accept like the daughter's difference was kind of an interesting thing but it was also nice that like not both of them were like you're a demon you're a devil like there was one of the parents had the emotional intelligence to like thank her for giving her the closure that she needed 
One thing I really liked with respect to Mar was Mar Markovia. One thing I liked with respect to, to Markovia was that in the beginning of the season, they basically established that Markovia is famous for accepting refugees. And I just love having there be a country that is like doing the right thing that's not the US, right? Like as someone whose family ended up in Argentina, for example, before the Holocaust, it's like, yeah, we do, the US isn't fucking big hero on so many things. Other countries had better policies for refugees. Um, mm -hmm. Even though Markovia changes its stance, like the fact that yeah. it's sort of taken as a given, like Markovia, where they like accept refugees and stuff. I did think that was an interesting bit of like real politics where uh, kind of uh, the older brother king essentially argues that he needs to come out against metahumans in order to give cover for like Karaki refugees and I just thought that was I don't know what to make of it but I mm -hmm. thought it was like wow this show's going right into like using one scapegoat to protect another and I don't know what to make of that yeah and I think it's easier for again this is like tying to real, real world stuff um, and for them I guess they think Oh, if if it's metahumans, it's fine in terms of our like the audience's reaction to that, like barring uh, metahumans humans as opposed to like oh, but the Karakis are fine to stay. But I'm thinking about a lot of like what we've been saying so far about what we found didn't work, and I wonder. Young Justice started out as focusing on these teens, um, like being superheroes and 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 learning. Like I saw, I actually rewatched the first ten episodes of the first season, and mm. I didn't realize how good Batman was as a mentor. In wow, terms of that's unusual. He's right? such a good dad in this show. He was. What? He's such a good dad, wow. and it's amazing because in opposite to that. You know, Superman had a real tough time uh, yeah. accepting Superboy, which I loved. But he was so good beat. at, yeah, he was mm -hmm. very good at criticize, like like criticizing what they messed up, but made sure to praise them. And the reason I bring this up is I wonder if part of the issue is we now have the original cast of characters who are now aging out of Young Justice, right? Because in mm -hmm. the first season, we're looking at these teens, and the adults were on the periphery. Uh, there were more as the support. Um, mm -hmm. whereas I think what kind of split the focus in season three is that you're, you're balancing both like the top level adult, you know, pulling strings situation on, as well as these teens trying to figure out like how to be themselves, but also heroes. Um, and it's like you said about, uh, Ahmed, about the, you know, compassion of, of the series in general to its kids. Um, it's you have moments where Aquaman suggests that Livewire and Mist, because they're underage, should actually not go to Bell Rev and instead have alternate, um, an alternate to prison. And, and moments like that are really great. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's something they need to think about going into season four is, um, should we continue giving such major focus to now the adults, right? Because they're no longer kids. Mm -hmm. Young Justice is the Degrassi of superhero shows. Well, I mean, that is why it was sort of interesting that they have Jefferson is like kind of the protagonist of the season. And he's a character who we never saw as a teenager. He was always an adult. And he's a cool character because you get to see this really great divorced dad. And we never really get to see really great divorced dads in anything. But it was sort of like, here's this grown up. And we're actually going to really center a lot of things on him. And Artemis is also sort of a, a pivotal character in this as well. It was, by the way, I feel like this is the first time that they've actually drawn Artemis looking Asian. Um... I like actually feel like they drew her look not looking white for the first time. I was like, good, good job, people. Like, that's important. Um, they drew Tracy 13 looking white, but okay. 
um, it was a start. Uh, well, one thing I want to say actually is I think my favorite political speech from this whole thing was Dublex's speech to Connor about how when Connor goes to visit um, the town that was set up by the folks who were released from Project Cadmus. Um, Dublex says to him, like, look, you see yourself as an individual, and that's why you try to help people in individual ways as a hero who rescues individual people. But you actually are part of a broader group and something like uh, you are part of you are, uh, you know, a, a genomorph like we are. You're part of this group of people who are oppressed and you need to come out as your identity so that you can help us seek systemic change. And I was like, I fucking love you, Dublex. You're my favorite character. What a brilliant way to look at this part, because it is true. Connor, his whole thing has always been like, I'm not a, I'm a clone, and I therefore I resent being like anybody else. Therefore, I have to be my own person. And Dublex is showing him like, I feel for you. I know why you feel this way, but you do also have a broader responsibility to other oppressed peoples. And yes, you're not the only one. And no, taking individual action isn't enough. We need collective action. I really like I that. I really like that storyline. And again, what we've been talking about, like the theme of power and kind of like society and like societal power. I really thought just everything with like Superboy and like Genomorph City worked really, uh, worked really well. The, you know, the fact they have stability but not safety. Yeah. And that whole speech you're talking about. And that's another one where I feel like, oh, this is the benefit you have, or this is like really the payoff to like three whole seasons worth of world building and character development for Superboy. And that he acknowledges, it was amazing to me that they acknowledge on screen, like, Brion is sort of the new you. Yeah, he is. Okay, I guess I'll mentor him, you know, and that was super real. (laughs) I want to get you guys' opinion on, I love the whole good industries as as Apple, and she's evil, and she's making Apple products. Um, Do folks have thoughts about good industries, Apple goggles? Why do you think they were Apple? I thought they were like Google. Google and oh, I guess it's good. Google. Goggles. I thought they were Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're just big tech, I guess. I, I got a. I feel. I feel like it, it became like with the move with like the movie control with the tech with the shopping. I feel like it became this kind of nice amalgamation of like all the biggest corporations. Hey, so it Disney. Kind of, oh you know, like, yeah, yeah, Disney, yeah. <laughs> But to folks like that, I like. I, I like, really I was enjoyed excited Granny, to have Granny Goodness. Goodness. Granny Goodness is an amazing character. I really I enjoyed her as her. the quote-unquote main villain of the season. I thought they used. I just thought it was once I got over Ed Asner not being the voice of the character. I just thought she was like just a fun, interesting, larger-than-life villain that just made for a really cool antagonist while kind of keeping the new gods themes going. Yeah, Granny is one of my favorite villains. <laughs> She's so much fun to watch. She's so unrepentantly evil. Yeah. And I think the, I don't know. I, I think I'm, I don't know if I'm the only person, but that VR situation just made me think, guys, did you learn nothing about that juice from season right. two? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Right. Suspect exactly all like popular products. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I did really. That's very true. I did really like the, uh, the Beast Boy, uh, Granny Goodness dynamic that developed. Uh, even if it was most had a lot of shades of kind of uh, the Mr. Miracle Granny Goodness relationship, it was still really fun mm. seeing that rivalry develop. That's a good point. What did you guys make about the fact that um, she uh, seems like she has two different bodies, like one on Apocalypse and one on Earth, and like the two different forms were being combined? I'd never seen. Uh, 
it, it done so that people on Apocalypse have like a different form on Earth than they do on Apocalypse. Like that, I don't know. Did folks make head or tails of what any of that was? I don't feel like it was very well explained, to be honest. Yeah, just I just kind of took it as some like techie, splitty stuff that led to some weird, creepy visuals at the end. But yeah, definitely, I, I didn't think much of it. If I wish it had gotten a little more explanation. It was creepy as fuck, though. Like, that so was creepy. one of the most impactful images for me, was watching her get tortured at the two different forms. I was like, what the fuck? That's actually not... Also- that's actually not the only time where we had really messed up, uh, like, body horror. Like, when the kids mm. were all formed into that one blob. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. horrible. Oh, oh that was... Uh, I think I repressed well, that m- at moment. Probably. Let's talk about Overlord. Um, so, Overlord is, like, a, a device entity, whatever technology, you know, from Fourth World, from the actual original Kirby comics. I loved the reveal that it was actually tiny. I've never and... wanted a Funko Pop so badly because it would be life-size to the character. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. And I've never wanted a Funko Pop and now I want that. I mean, I love stories about the anti-life equation because it is such a apt metaphor for fascism and we need to talk about that like all the time. And I actually, I love... Mm. Basically, they established that a non-binary, queer, brown, refugee person is the force that can negate the anti-life equation. Like, they are the rebuttal to fascism. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And I like the idea of, you know, the conversation about fascism being sprinkled um, throughout the season in terms of, like, directly talking about it. Uh, Jay, Jay Garrett actually calls Luther a fascist, and I thought, that's right, my flash is Antifa right now. Yeah. Yay! I, uh, the Justice Society, original Antifa. Um, <laughs> but, I mean... Halo essentially defeated cosmic fascism with a giant rainbow burst. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say you could definitely read it. There's definitely plenty to read into the themes of queerness defeating fascism. And the tininess of fascism, ultimately, that this device is, like, so small and, and yet gets to, like, torment so many people. Um, I, did folks feel like Brick, in that, in, in that Roy Harper episode, that Brick was kind of a racial stereotype? Because it bothered me. Uh, I miss Vinnie Jones's brick from Arrow. Oh wow! I don't know the character from the. Oh, I never. I don't know Arrow. It's just. Vi- comics, it's just Vinnie Jones. It was just like, Vinnie Jones being guy, Vinnie Jones. Like they electrocute him once he's handcuffed, and they use it as a laugh line. But like he's also like one of the only characters who like really speaks in black vernacular. And like there's this whole bit where like no one's going to steal the stuff in broad daylight. And he's like, we're going to steal the stuff in broad daylight, which would be a funny beat. But I don't know. The whole thing with Brick kind of made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, there's also a character called Holocaust. And at first I looked it up to see if it was a real character. And it is. And it was created in the 90s. So it's not even like. Both Marvel and DC have characters named Holocaust. And I really wish they wouldn't. It's just a matter of, you know, updating visuals for today. And I understand Holocaust is a word that generally means like, like a huge destruction. But, you know, language changes and people Mm -hmm. are going to obviously immediately think of one particular um, event. So... Yeah, was it great, you know, set up to the character? Like, it's not a great look. Um, it didn't stand out too much to me in the moment um, in my depressive state of just binging the show. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it wasn't a great look. I don't know. I feel like I'm still grappling it. Like Ardo 
I'm still. I feel like I'm still gra- grappling with the show. I um, did just finish it over the weekend, um, so I'm like, it's still kind of fresh. I want to go back and watch the earlier seasons. I think you guys made a lot of interesting points at the end there about um, the fascism stuff, which I thought worked. It definitely worked, um, but uh, I don't know. Just some, some t- somehow it didn't come together for me as well as it could have. I felt like there was a lot of potential that didn't didn't end up getting there for me. Um, but you, but you think that there could be some interesting stuff to explore in the in the future season. I'll probably keep watching it. Yeah, I'll probably keep watching it. Great. Well, tell our listeners where they can find your work online. Um, my podcast is called See Something, Say Something. We talk about American Muslims. You can find that anywhere you find your podcasts. And it's I'm a on... very good podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Ardo. I love Thank it so much. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate that. Means a lot. Um, and I'm also really dumb on Twitter at Rad Brown Dads. Sometimes I tweet about comics but not that often. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Ardo, tell our folks where they can find you. Uh, you can find me mostly on Twitter. Um, I know I talked a lot about how much I uh, don't enjoy the space, but I do. Uh, so you can find me at Ardo Omer, A-R-D-O-O-M-E-R. Um, and, you know, find my thoughts about Batman, uh, my podcast, any writings that I that I'm doing, and yeah. Ben. All right, so I guess my final thoughts of the show was um, as for as much as I talked or had issue, I still, uh, overall, I still really enjoyed the season. And even if it wasn't my favorite, any complaints all come from a place of love. And it was still, mm-hmm. you know, one of the most, some of the most enjoyable half hours of television around. Uh, and I'm still super crazy excited for whatever season four has in store. Uh, anyway, you can find my work. Uh, my current series is Griffin Galaxy's Most Wanted, uh, which is updating on Comixology. Uh, issue number eight will be out in a few weeks. We're also uh, doing uh, the digital debut of uh, Heavenly Blues, which was just which had been uh, nominated for an Ignatz Award. So that is out. You can get the trade from uh, ScoutComics.com or just make sure. Yes, yeah, ScoutComics.com. And uh, we're, do, we're uh, putting out the issues on Comixology as well. And you can get my random ramblings about cooking, whatever movies and TV and r- I'm watching and writing on Twitter at, at BenTheCon. And this is Ilana Levin on Twitter as E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn, obviously with graphicpolicy.com. Uh, we'll be back and it won't require a two-year time jump in order for you to catch up with us. And I hope you will join me uh, at New York Comic Con where I've got two panels coming up. As we like to say, keep it geeky.